for mothers in particular, you know, we all have to take the bar exam to get licensed. So what about making sure that all bar examiners across the states can provide adequate accommodations for test takers who are lactating and need to pump and need time to do that and need a sanitary space to do that. That's not a bathroom. Things like that that are just like barriers to entry to the profession to begin with. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry. Uh, and tonight I am joined by three awesome guests, uh, Helen Yoon, Jamie Saul, and Carly Wanos, who are here to talk about a heavier topic or just not the lightest topic, I guess we've had, but we're here to talk about bias discrimination in the workplace. Um, so well, not not as light as normal, very important and super interesting. And these women have amazing, you know, points of view on the on the discussion. And I promise you will not be disappointed. So before I bring them in, I just want to add the disclaimer that everything that we talk about is everyone's personal view and not the view of any organization or firm that they work for, but just, you know, what they've experienced throughout their, you know, their career and their growth in their career. So with that said, let's bring them in. Hi, ladies. Thanks for joining me tonight on the Defense Never Rest. I'm so thrilled to have all three of you joining me together tonight. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with with my esteemed uh I guess, co-guests tonight. I just want to run around and introduce each of you and like get a little background in you so everyone knows who who they're watching or listening to. But I want to start with you, you, Helen. Um, so Helen Yoon is the uh, Assistant General Counsel at Brink Security, uh, which, you know, I, I piqued my interest because I just think of, you know, giant um, armored vehicles and, you know, big men with machine guns and... <laughs> and and bulletproof vests. (laughs) So from, from my standpoint, as a litigation attorney, I'm like all the risk, all the risk. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So that's true. (laughs) But you know, how, how did you, how did you land there? Uh, Like what was your career path to get there? So um, I, I didn't go the big law to in-house path. I've just always been in-house. And I would say the first half of my career, I was in the electric energy industry in Texas. Um, So I've been on the regulated part, the deregulated part. And then um, after I had my son, I took a little bit of time off. And this is where I ended up, which was pretty different from the industry that I'd been in. But um, as an in-house counsel, always been a part of a small uh, legal team, you kind of have to do a little bit of everything. So and they're, they were looking for um, a journalist and a commercial transactions attorney. So that's how I ended up here. And I've been here for nine years now. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm sure like, I mean, at least from, from my, my, my background, I, I, I'm sure like you're, when I think about your day to day, it just the varied things that you must see coming in as to like the, the different things that your company has to experience on a day by day must be just, I don't know, every day must be different as, as to what you may say. It is. Um, and then I think for a lot of legal in-house legal departments, it's kind of where all the miscellaneous things come. You know, mm. if somebody doesn't know how to take care of it, we'll just send it to legal and they'll figure it out. <laughs> So that adds to some of that. We get, you know, just anything and everything. Yeah. And it wasn't the kind of like the theme in law school too. like, oh, well, if you go be a lawyer, you can, you can do anything. (laughs) So so now you're, now you're sitting there doing it. You're handling all the tasks. (laughs) Yep. You know, and it's a kind of a curse that we're the good issue spotters and, and uh, problem solvers. So it's, it's good and bad. Yeah. Um, so I want to move over to Jamie. So Jamie is one of my fellow co-authors for, for networked. Um, so I'm so happy. I think this is the first time you've been on the defense of rest. It is. is. Welcome. I can't believe it's been this long. Um, but I love how to describe Jamie as someone who makes tax law interesting and understandable, um, because your posts, you know, whenever you post on LinkedIn mm-hmm. about tax law, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, this is interesting. <laughs> this That's isn't so making you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. Yes. I try. 
Cause I did fall asleep in my first tax class. And so now I'm just like on a mission and then I dropped the class. So that's my dirty secret. I never took tax in law school, but I am a tax nerd to the core now. So. Yeah. So that was my question. I was like, did you want to be a tax attorney? Like, did you like, were you in law school? Like, Oh, obviously not. You hated it. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, I, I was a con law nerd. Um, and I got the bug for con law in undergrad, actually had just an amazing professor. Um, and I got into law school. I did some work in kind of financial, um, controversy, NASDAQ and the SEC, and realized I really liked that side of it, the kind of combination of numbers and analysis and creativity, um, and ended up at the Department of Revenue in Massachusetts for my final co-op in law school. And it was there, it was like this aha light bulb moment because state and local tax, you know, 60 or 70% of everything that I'm dealing with is con law arguments all day long. Um, and the rest of it is a little bit of numbers and a little bit of creativity and a little bit of industry specific analysis. And, and it was like this marriage of that analytical side and the con law that I loved. I saw, oh, I can make a career of arguing about the constitution all day long. Um, and love it. So you kind of found your unicorn. I did, <laughs> I did, you know, and I, and I've been doing it ever since you know, getting out of law school, I spent eight years at the Massachusetts Department of Revenue and I've been in private sector for five years now, just talking tax all day long. And how was your transition from like working in the public sector, going over to the private sector? I mean, it must've been an, an adjustment. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you know, we, I went from one state to 50. So the knowledge <laughs> learning curve was very steep. Um, and, wow. you know, I think the couple of things that I took majorly for granted, things like snow days, you know, in the state government, you actually still get them. Um, and, um, it, you know, a, a, a knowable schedule because at the time they didn't even let you work remotely from home. You know, it was like, you weren't allowed to bring your laptop with you. You weren't allowed to bring your work home with you. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I miss that part of the job, <laughs> especially through this pandemic. <laughs> um, so that, that was tough, but I think it was the chance to see from a different perspective, um, to, to kind of take all that bureaucracy um, and insider knowledge on, on how a tax department works and how to speak the language of the, the, the backside and then take it and use it for businesses and um, kind of clear the, the obstructions out of their way so they can get back to running business the way they want to. Yeah. And I mean, you really do a great job though, to making it understandable because my eyes do glaze over a little bit. (laughs) I'm not offended. (laughs) Find me the next viral docu-series that I can tease out a tax nugget over because I'm running out of things to talk about with Lula Rich here. (laughs) I could probably sit here and talk the whole podcast about Lula Rich. (laughs) Have you ladies watched it? That sounds crazy. Yeah. I have not, but I, I saw what Jamie posted and it seems intense. Yeah. It sucks. It you was I watched, riveting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I want, I mean, sorry, anyone who's listening, but I, I have to go off course a little bit, but I sat and I watched the first three episodes in one night and it was like 1230 at night. And I was like, do I stay up to one thirty and watch the last one? <laughs> Same. <laughs> like, <laughs> And like, I, really good. I know, and I have like a bunch of those leggings and I had no idea, like they're just really comfortable. You have the stinky leggings. I got, I got them pretty stinky. I got that. Oh. I think it was 2014. I was very cutting edge. Got in before they went down. There we go. <sighs> anyway. So Carly, um, I'm so happy to have you on it. I, got introduced to you through Jamie. This is the wonderful world of LinkedIn and networking, which I just love it. Um, And when I mentioned having this podcast that we're talking about, you know, discrimination tonight that Jamie had mentioned you, she's like, oh, Carly's great. Have her come on. And I'm so happy for you you to join us, (laughs) but you have your own podcast. So let us hear a little bit about that. I do. I have the employment experience and I am an employment attorney for the defense side. So I represent companies who have been sued by their employees for things like discrimination, harassment, retaliation. And so the podcast is geared towards HR representatives and businesses, basically who want to learn more about those types of things and learn how to 
best practices to protect their business, basically. And so and you started that on your own, right? I did. Yeah. So, I actually just started it this year. So it's, right. it's brand new and I'm about ready to wrap season one. So, <laughs> so how did you come about to being like, you know, I think I want to, I mean, I'm sitting here asking you the question as like, you're on my podcast, but <laughs> I can't take credit for starting this podcast no started problem. by my managing partner. But did you, I mean, were you just sitting like in bed one night and be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do a podcast. It's something I really want to do. Um, you know, it didn't quite happen that way. Um, but it was kind of a, an idea that came up, um, because I think social media is so powerful and it expands your reach so much. And this was a way that you could connect and get in touch with so many more people. Um, I work strictly remote remotely, so I'm not in an office, you know, there's only Mm. so much reach that I have so much networking. And then with COVID, you know, the whole networking thing kind of went downhill very quickly. Um, so, you know, the podcast was a way to be able to reach a ton of people really quickly. And, um, you know, that interested me. And also, you know, for the networking opportunity as well, you get to meet so many people. Like you said, I met Jamie and I met Jamie through another LinkedIn connection as well. So, um, I just think that that's so interesting and really cool how that can happen. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love it from a networking standpoint and also just a creative, like a creative outlet that I didn't realize I needed, but now I enjoy so much. Like it's so nice to have, have this to be like, I don't know, it's fun. (laughs) Right. And it's a break from, you know, if you do litigation, it's a break from litigation as well, which is nice. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's funny from like, to look at it from my, my daughter's eyes though, because they both know I'm a lawyer, but they're like, but you do podcasts. <laughs> you're but a YouTuber think- and you're a podcaster. Oh, yeah. oh, oh my, when they love to come in my office and try on the headset and play with all the, the things and I'm like, please don't break anything. <laughs> so as we sit here, so we are for, you know, women in, you know, like great positions in our, our career. Um, but I think for, I, I, at least I can speak for, for myself. It didn't, I didn't get here from without, like with a completely easy path. Like there was definitely roadblocks along the way that, you know, I attribute a lot to, you know, my, my, my gender. Um, and, you know, there's just been, especially being lawyers. Like, I think there's just a lot of, you know, roadblocks along the way, either they be intentional or not intentional or, you know, like whatever they may be. I think we just all are, we've probably encountered some of them. Um, so, you know, without naming any specifics of specific firms or companies or anything, you know, have any of you had, you know, experiences during your growth for where you are today, that was like, you had a major roadblock with either someone who was higher up, who you got like looked over for a certain position or, or something that stands out to your mind that like, you really felt like, like this is because of, you know, who I am, like not meaning your, your skill, but either Mm -hmm. your race or your gender. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different. Um, I mentioned that I work strictly remotely. Now I work for a large law firm in Florida. And the reason that I work strictly remotely is because, um, when I was a younger attorney, I decided that I wanted to start a family and doing Mm -hmm. litigation and just the stress and the amount of time commitment. Um, I felt like I couldn't do both. Right. So something needed to give. Um, and so my firm was kind enough to allow me to do that, but I know a lot of people don't have that opportunity or don't know that they can potentially have that opportunity and speak up in order to create that flexibility. Right. So it's all the, all about the flexibility that I needed. I needed to be able to, you know, when women, especially, um, attorneys want to start a family and have kids, they need to be able to go to doctor's appointments and take time off and not just for maternity leave, but everything else that comes with that. Um, so I think that's really important, especially in the legal field. And now because of COVID, I think that a lot of companies have seen that it is more feasible, um, to allow that flexibility to be able to work remotely, because that's what is going to allow more women again, particularly in the legal field to stay in that legal field. I know that we see a lot of women going into law school and then maybe staying for five, six, seven, eight years and then leaving. It seems to me that that is, um, you know, right around the time where they start families. 
So mm-hmm. I think to be able to retain more women, I think that that's absolutely key. Yeah. I mean, and that point speaks. So like, I think probably speaks to a, a lot of us is mm-hmm. like to your heart. Cause I remember uh, when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter being like, shit, how am I going to do this? You know? Cause it's kind of like, you have to have on the space. Like I don't have any kids. I don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about me. I don't have any kids. They're not going to affect my life, but like they do like, you know, like, you know, and suddenly you can't stay, you know, at the office until seven o'clock at night because you have a daycare pickup or, you know, you have w- whatever going on. And I remember at that time I-, I needed to make it seem like I had no other distraction at home, because if that, it seemed like I had a distraction, I was worried I would get looked over for certain mm-hmm. cases like, oh, well, she can't work on that hate case. Cause there's a lot of defendants and it might be a lot of hours and you wouldn't be able to stay at a deposition that later, whatever it may be. So I tried to like, you put on this persona that like, oh yeah, but I mean, I had a baby, but you know, you don't like, you, they, you don't want anyone to know that, you know, it, it changed how you could approach like your FaceTime, so to speak. So I there's remember a I saying that, yeah. um, keeps coming back and back in mind that, you know, you have to work like you don't have responsibilities at home and parent at home as if you don't have work on the other hand. And it's that difficult tension kind of trying to thread that line between recognizing that you do have responsibilities on both sides and, and responsibilities you probably enjoy on both (laughs) sides. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I, to Carly's point, I think not only is the pandemic, um, shown employers and businesses different ways that can work. Um, you know, I think one of the, in the early days, it, I mean, it literally threw open the curtain, right? We were, we lived in a zoom world. We could all see each other's families and things on the inside. And I think it was in some ways a, a breaking point, if you will, forcing people to recognize that lawyers are humans and we have families and we have things outside of the law and having those things outside of the law makes us better lawyers. Um, whether that will continue going forward, I think is the like big elephant in the room question right, right now. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, when I was pregnant, um, the immediate question was, you, are you gonna come back after you mm. have the baby? Yeah. And I just thought that was the weirdest question. I'm like, well, of course, why wouldn't I? Mm. But, you know, it just made me think maybe, you know, it's because a lot of women decide not to. Um, and so that, question is normal. I, I, I didn't know it's, you know, my, I have one and only, so it's my one, one time, but I, I just found that question to be so weird. Um, but just seemed like, you know, pretty commonplace to ask that. I don't know if you've experienced that. Oh, for sure. And, and I remember being part of conversations about other, you know, women in the office, like, Oh, she's not going to come back. And I'm like, why do, why do we all think that's okay yeah. to talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> and not ask that same question of our male colleagues who's maybe welcoming children into their family as well. I mean, I think this is just one of those good examples of pretty obvious microaggressions, if you will, against women, this like assumption that, Oh, you have kids, you're not coming back to work. I got it boils my blood. Just don't ask. Whoever's listening, don't ask. <laughs> I I agree. I, and but also, uh, I I think I had a train of thought earlier, and it just like flew away. But I got I pulled it back. Um, but I remember those early times. You know when I when I just came back to work after having my first daughter, and you know realizing that like it would really help if I could work from home some, but mm-hmm. also realizing I could never ask to work from home because the answer would be no. Because I think. Mm-hmm. The, the presumption of the higher high partners would be that, oh, like my, my daughter would be home too. Like I was going to try to straddle the work and be mm-hmm. a stay-at-home mom when really she was at daycare. I just wanted to maximize my time because commuting 30, 40 minutes in the city was just a waste of time. Whereas I could just sit at home and get a full day in. So I just didn't ask. And I just started working from home like secretly. And because as a litigator, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. as a litigator, like you could be someplace. I know it loads with on my calendar. So I just started to like do it regularly, at least once or twice a week and just never asked. And no one, no one asked me and it made my life a lot easier, but I knew how to ask the question or ask permission. The response mm-hmm. would be, no, we don't have a work from home policy. So I was just like, well, I'm just gonna make my own and just not tell you. 
and it worked fine for me. <laughs> it does happen though. I mean, I did, when I was coming back, I went back full time, but I did ask for a slight shift in my schedule where, you know, I would be in the office from nine to five, but I would work in the mornings before my daughter gets up in the morning and it's still the schedule that I maintain now, but I, I did get some pushback on it. And I asked for it because I knew my two male colleagues with younger children had that same schedule. Mm-hmm. And even oh, still good for you, like, well, if they, if they have that schedule and it's okay for them, and I'm only asking for exactly what their schedule is. Yeah. Right. Why did I get pushed I think back? It's, it was, I don't know. I think it's important too, to educate the people who might be making these decisions who might not be in the same mm-hmm. place that you're in, um, because they're not familiar with it. And maybe they might not know, like, um, Megan, you said your supervisor thought you were going to be doing daycare, you know, at your home and litigating at the same time. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we, sh- we shouldn't, it shouldn't be seen as, uh, you know, a, a negative or penalized for take, having and taking care of kids, because this is what makes us more well-rounded. I mean, this is what's going to, you know, women and females, you know, at the top at the CEO place, it's going to, you know, we, we can do great things. We are exceptionally smart. We can drive revenue. We can multitask, right? So, you know, having us in those roles and creating the flexibility that we need, it's, it's good for, for the overall company, really. I think it's important to note too, that, you know, you kind of make the assumption that the ones that are making the rules are men, and they're the ones that don't understand the plight of the working woman or the in the working Mm. mom. Um, And and a lot of times, it's women, too. Um, You know, maybe they don't have children or, you know, so I, I just, you know, want to make sure it's not like a men against women kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's a parent or a working parent um, scenario. Um, but, I, you know, we should note that. <clears throat> well, and yeah, you absolutely. Know, that's a really good point, Helen, because I was going to bring this up later, but I think it's a perfect time to bring it up now is uh, I don't know if anyone read there was this article a few years ago in the Atlantic about like how they a lot of times women tend to push women down and prevent their own, like prevent mm. other women from advancing themselves in career in their career. A great article, a typical Atlantic article is like, you know, 300 pages long, but um, great, great points. <laughs> but like that, what you just said goes to that too. Like, I think there, there needs to be a message out there that, you know, as we need to like help each other rise, rise up rather than push down. And just because, you know, some, you know, female CEO might not have children, you know, does it, that, that individual still needs to respect the, the boundaries and the, the limitation, not limitations, that's a wrong word to use, but like what else is going on in everyone else's lives below mm. them, whether it be men or women on their team, you know, it like it, rather than pressing people down and not letting them rise up, we have to kind of like, all work together and it's very kumbaya, but, you know, I think there needs to be a a general, a a larger general work to kind of do that. I've always wondered about that. Um, You know, you, you hear it referred to as, you know, the queen bee syndrome or, Mm. or whatever. And, um, you know, I've experienced it early in my career when I was a young attorney. Um, And, and I've thought about it a lot now that I've, gotten a lot older. Um, And I just wonder, you know, if it's just a result of there just not being enough seats at the table for us, for people like us, for women or, you know, and, and they're protecting it at all costs. I've, I've just always wondered that. And now Mm -hmm. that in the past few years, DNI and, you know, events of last summer, it's kind of, kind of blown that wide open. And I, I see more because there's a focus of, I, I want to see more women on your boards. I want to see more women on your executive team. Um, it, it's kind of opened that door, I feel like. And, and you don't really see, I, I, I noticed an improvement in that because maybe there are more seats at the table for us. Yeah. I, and know what you think. I think, I think 
there, I mean, I think they're in my naive view. I think feel like there's always room to push a chair closer together to get another seat at mm-hmm. the table. Like I hate this notion that there's there's only like ten seats, you know, <laughs> and no one else can sit there. Like we can always make room, um, and you and you never know what can happen if you make room for someone, take a chance on someone, uh, and like allow them into the room. And I think there's. I, I think the old notion is like, well, if I let her in, then what's going to happen to me? Is there only room for, to have one woman here or, you know, or, or one minority here? Like whatever, whatever it may be. I think there's like that fear that you might get cut out of the equation if someone like you or similar to you is suddenly there as well, which I think we just need to move away from that. Like it doesn't, that shouldn't be part of it. No, and it, it, here's the, the thing that I have experienced it. And I think Helen, mine, Mine was similar to yours early in my career. I saw a little bit more of that kind of scarcity fear. Not so much right now. And I, I'm a really firm believer. Um, there is room for everyone. There is room for all of our different voices. It's not competing with one another. It is competing for one another to have those opportunities. Um, and the more that we can kind of support one another through this, particularly among women or or other groups who don't typically have a voice, the, the better for everyone. You know, I, I was reading um, a report earlier today, McKinsey and Lean-In organization do a report every year on women in the workplace. Um, and they published their most recent one two days ago, I think. And they had this observation in there that uh, workplaces with who, who support and celebrate women in positions of leadership um, find that their business improves for everyone in the organization, not just economically, Absolutely. but the, the culture, the fit, the operational improvement across the business benefits everyone. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Well, I love, yeah. Well, I, when, when this podcast gets posted, which will be mm-hmm. in about a week, can you link, is there a way you can link that, yeah. that study to the post? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that would be interesting. Which, I think to read, you know, it was interesting to, I think to also Helen's point, um, I was contrasting that report, which does show some kind of, um, metric improvements, if you will, in women in positions of leadership across corporate America wide with the law 360 glass door or glass ceiling report from last week, which showed at least year over year for women in the law, there was zero movement in positions of leadership, whether it's equity or non-equity partnership or senior management and in-house. And, and, and that's frustrating. It, it says to me that, you know, in the legal industry, we've got a ways to go. Uh, so Helen, what do you see on your end? Cause you are, you know, you are on leadership mm-hmm. in, you know, in-house. So what, what has been your experience uh, sitting in your shoes? You know, I want to touch on, uh, Jamie brought up microaggressions. Um, And and I've heard this from so many women at kind of like, um, not at the executive level, but that level right below. I I wouldn't even call it a middle manager, Mm -hmm. but those that, um, you hear the same story a lot in those management roles. where they're worried about their perception to the executive management. They really watch what they say. Um, I don't think they're being true to themselves. And I think it's Mm -hmm. just a product of being told you're too bossy, you're too aggressive, you're too direct, you're difficult. If you ask those difficult questions, you're difficult, right? (laughs) Um, I've even even heard you're too confident. (laughs) Um, And I've always wondered, you know, how many male executives or male leaders hear those words as negatives or those words are listed on a development plan? You know, I would, I'm just going to assume not many, you know, they're going to get patted on the back for those things. And um, so I see that a lot. You know, I, I have my colleagues that are kind of at the same level as me after a meeting will pull me aside and say, you know, that statement I made, was that okay? Did that sound okay? You know, was it too aggressive? And it just, it makes me so angry that we have to check ourselves all the time. And, 
you know, it's a double standard and a glass mm-hmm. ceiling because those things will be used against you when it comes time for promotions. So, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I see, you know, from my colleagues, from my friends in other companies, whether it's in-house or just in, on, in, on the business side. So, you know, it's there. We all see it. We all, you know, have probably experienced it sometime, at some point. And it's those microaggressions that, mm-hmm. you know, or the unconscious bias that's so insidious because, you know, as an employment attorney, I'm sure, you, like, how do you prove that, right? I, I don't know how you could ever be able to prove something like that. Yeah, I was just going to pivot to Carly, too, to say, like, you must see some of this, you know, on on your side or get some wind of this uh, defending corporations. There has to be some of it that comes up. Right. So believe it or not, there I still have a lot of cases where there are just um, explicit statements that are made. So um, we need a man to do this job. Um, Whoa. <laughs> you know, and, and also things like that, but also, you know, um, sexual harassment type comments. Um, so there's that. And then on the implicit bias, the unconscious bias, um, you know, you really have to take a look, you have to dig deeper and see exactly what's going on. Right. So are the reasons that they're saying that they made these decisions, are those really the, the real reasons or was it for something else? Um, how many females do you have working for you? How many, so this is, I'm making the point of the, of the plaintiff, by the way, I'm a defense attorney, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm arguing the other side right now. Um, you know, how many females do you have working for you? Why did you promote, you know, seven males this last year and none of your females when comparatively speaking, you know, the, the proportions for females are much mm-hmm. higher, things like that. It's, it's tough though. It's difficult. And the, the thing is, is that, that the unconscious bias is definitely there And the people who might have the unconscious bias don't realize it, right? That's the dangerous part. They don't even realize that they're doing it. Um, And I I don't know if you're familiar with the TED Talk by Valerie Alexander. Um, She did this TED Talk, how to outsmart your unconscious bias. And basically she walks you through the story. She tells a story and she wants you to close your eyes and picture it. She says, um, you're running for a flight and you jump on your flight and the pilot steps out and says, hello. Then you go to a restaurant and you sit down and there's a married couple having dinner next to you. And she keeps going and you open your eyes. And she said, um, the, the individuals that, that you pictured was the pilot, a black female. No, most people say no. And the married couple having dinner together. Did you picture uh, two men that were married having dinner together? No. So when I watched that, I thought that that was a really interesting way to uncover that unconscious bias that a lot of people have, because it goes back to um, familiarity, what you're used to, what you have, your experiences, right? Um, so your experiences and what you're familiar with, it might be the first thing that pops into your mind, but it's an unconscious bias and you need to be aware of it. Um, so, and, and I think that that's so important. It goes back to the education just to make people aware that that is present and, and how to deal with it. So it doesn't affect, um, you know, those around you and in the workplace as well. And I love that example. Cause I mean, I, as you were going through that, I had, I mean, it was like, oh yeah, it's a white male pilot, you know? And I think that's just right. You know? And then when you, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. I think she got I, everyone in the audience with that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, it's okay. important from that. You know, I, I have a young daughter um, and I'm not going to lie knowing that she was a daughter. I mean, it's, it's motivating in that sense, right. To kind of show her an example of what it looks like to have a strong woman pursuing a career with ambitions and dreams and who likes doing that because I mean, I didn't have that in my life and I want to make sure she has that. So that way, you know, hopefully 30 years from now, we're not having this conversation again. Right. Yeah. I, I'd like to be that optimistic, but I'm not like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's this, I think it's changed a lot, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not overly optimistic that it's going to, there's going to be so much of a drastic change in 30 years that we're not going to be still having some part of this conversation to some degree. 
Yeah. Maybe and you know, it's getting there. It's going to take work though, for sure. It, it's maybe just anecdotal, but just personally, the number of colleagues and friends that at are at a certain level within their companies where their develop career development plan includes um, coaching for interpersonal skills. I've heard it so many times from women at a certain level because they're told you're too aggressive, you're too direct, you're, you know, and this is how we're going to solve it is we're going to get you coaching. Um, and so something's happening, you know, like all these women are being told you have to get coaching for interpersonal skills. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to get some real metrics on that. How many women have been told that you have to do this in order to get to the next level? Um, because I've just heard it myself personally way too many times. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And it, I, I, I almost like has me speechless because it, it doesn't make any sense. I know. <laughs> I mean, coaching could benefit so many people. So maybe open it to everyone as opposed to just coaching for interpersonal skills because you're a woman. It, it, and it kind of, to me, it goes to, you know, a lot of the things I've seen lately about um, like dress codes at school. Like, mm. oh, well, girls can't wear spaghetti, spaghetti strap shirts or, well, maybe it should be girls should, can be wear spaghetti strap shirts. Maybe the boys shouldn't pull their straps or whatever, whatever the, 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 yeah. you know, situation may be, but it's like that same kind of idea. Well, you need to change. You need to be less assertive and you need some coaching to, to make your approach <laughs> softer. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you need coaching yeah. <laughs> yes. for those spaghetti straps. Yes. <laughs> You need to learn to dress more appropriately, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's going to take work on both sides. I think, I mean, the, the burden, the responsibility is not just on the females to stop and change and, you know, pivot. It's going to take change on both ends for sure. Yeah. I just, the message that that sends to women that are climbing up the ladder is there's something wrong with you um, that you have to get coaching. Like, you know, it, which just reinforces yeah. the mm-hmm. other stereotypes and discrimination against women generally. And, and our own kind of self image, if you will, like mm-hmm. buying right into that same stereotype it makes me angry. Yeah. By the way, some people might like your overly confident personality right so why are you going to have to stifle that right like, yeah I, I mean i i feel like there's a lot like in the courtroom for for example yeah. if you're at trial you know everyone it's the the attorney who comes in and owns the room and, and grabs the jury and gets all their attention that's supposed to be a positive care characteristic mm-hmm. of that individual and if you take that same individual and, and that individual is a woman in the, in the boardroom and now she, she commands all the attention. Now she's too assertive and you need coaching to fix it. Mm. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. So imagine being a female, a woman in, you know, corporate America and, and you're an attorney. So what's the message there? You know, you love it when I'm being aggressive and direct and assertive at the negotiation table, but not amongst ourselves, not internally. You can't be that way. Um, For me, I don't know about others, but I can't turn it on and off. That's just who I am. So I got to be me. (laughs) Yeah. And who you are is how you got where you are now. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anybody else. I think it's doing you pretty well. Right. And that voice is going to speak directly to someone, you know, somebody's going to want that from you. So I, I don't know why you, why you would want to stifle it either. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. It, so, in in oh, some ways it underscores for me that just the sheer purpose of making sure that there's more women period mm-hmm. that are reaching higher levels in their careers. So that way we don't, you know, one way to undercut those kind of biases is just to make sure that there's more of us there. Um, Cut it off at the knees and stop it at its threads, you know? Right. And that's women supporting women, which you, which you mentioned at the, at the beginning Um, and lifting each other up and and not just because we might be different or because Mm -hmm. you don't have kids and I do. Um, 
you know, not, not allowing a seat at the table as well. Hmm. Well, it's, it's funny. And I, I talk about this in, in the book that uh, Jamie and I did and, and networked. And when the idea of network was brought up that it was going to be these 20 women, you know, coming together or before the book came, but this 20 women coming together to help each other marketing, you know, promote mm-hmm. our marketing efforts. I was like, Oh, 20 women are not going to do that. We, like, we, you know, we're, we're too catty. Like, we're, are we really going to support one another? And it was the complete, I mean, it's yeah. exactly what happened, but I came in with that pessimistic attitude because it, it in my own career, I've experienced like, you know, working alongside a colleague and you being competitive with that colleague because they go, well, they got that case. Why did they get that case? And I didn't get that case. And then you, you, in reality, you should be like, good for her for getting that case. Then, you know, I'm going to try to get the next one, but instead you turn it into a negative. So when this, you know, networking group was brought up to me, I was like, oh, this is never going to work. And it worked beautifully and it yeah. works beautifully. But our, I think our knee jerk, at least mine was, is to be like, you know, well, women don't support each other. We want to push each other down to make each other, you know, rise. And maybe that's a product of years of having to do that to some, to some extent to get survival mechanism. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know if and you guys have experienced that in your careers. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put out on a limb that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be also a product of just our industry, the legal industry, in that it is so competitive and it starts when you're in law school, right? The competitive nature. And I don't know, I can't speak for other industries, but I do know that there's a lot of collaboration that goes on within other industries. Mm -hmm. And I would really just like to see that in the legal industry as well. Um, I know that we are advocating for our clients on opposite sides, Um, but if we could find a way to stop or limit or reduce, um, the competitive nature and, and be more involved in the collaboration side of it. Mm-hmm. I think that we could go really far with that too. Yeah. Um, so, and I just, Carla, you made me think about this for Jamie. Cause I think Jamie, you're at like a really good crosswoods cause <laughs> tax is a very male driven industry and probably very competitive in that respect. And then you've just yeah. merged it with law. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know a lot yeah. of female tax attorneys. I know a few, There's really not, not a lot. I, I can count on Jamie's one hand the, only the number. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just I, call uh, Jamie. <laughs> call, um, I, I can count on one hand, the number of times I've been in a courtroom where it's been an all female team. In fact, it's involved two cases um, in 13 years of practice, two, two cases um, where the, the, cases have involved all female teams on both sides. Um, and it was really pretty amazing to be part of those teams. Um, but you're right. There's uh, most of the time I'm the only woman in the room. Um, and, um, I mean, here's the thing when it comes to being the only woman in the room that it took me a very long time to learn, I think, um, to the point about, you know, standing in your own value and power as a person, not just from a personality characteristic, but, you know, some of the other uh, microaggressions against women lawyers, and I've seen it in mine are, you know, are you being mischaracterized or misidentified as the paralegal or as the court reporter instead of the lawyer? Are you being asked to go get the coffee or to go get the, you know, copies of papers for whatever it is for the deposition, go get the exhibits? Are you the one that's responsible for, the scheduling or the planning or these other things like the administrative side of being a lawyer. Um, And does that default to the women in your teams? I I think often it does. And it took me too long in my career to recognize that. I think um, what I mistook as eagerness to volunteer, be like, look, I'm part of the team. I'm willing to do anything. Yes, I will go get all of those copies and and be able to say, no, that is the job for the support staff. And I love my support Mm -hmm. staff, but that is not me. I am the lawyer here. Um, and I need to be recognized and celebrated and supported as that. But I think like, I, I fall into that trap sometimes too, because Mm -hmm. I just want to be helpful. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's like our, our nature to be helpful. And maybe it's just as as mothers or just as ingrained in this, but a lot of times I'm like, well, I don't want to bother. I'll just, Mm -hmm. I just want to (laughs) help. And then it, and then it, and it, as a result, it negatively impacts us because then like you're a default to do those types of, you know, tasks. It's inevitable. You know, I sit in a room with male and female colleagues that are 
at the same level, like, you know, the women aren't at a lower level than the men. And it's inevitable. Oh, well, did somebody order lunch? And, you know, a senior director or a VP lady will just volunteer to do it. And I think, you know, part of it is that kind of that motherly thing. And we want to be helpful. I never see the guys volunteer to do that. (laughs) I'm not saying it never happens, but maybe we're our worst enemy sometimes, you know, in in that respect. I'm not saying we just cross our arms and sit back, but it happens. It just shocks me. I look around and I'm like, why are you ordering the lunch? (laughs) You can order the lunch, you know? And and so Helen, and you have like a, you have a double, you have a double because you're an Asian American woman and an Asian American woman. So you have you know, both sides of, you know, bias and discrimination against you. And, you know, how, how has that been, how's that experience been throughout the trajectory of, of your career? I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I'm not great with words all the time. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes 80%. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, it's definitely, has not been helpful to have the kind of Asian stereotypes that are laid at us um, and to be a woman, but then to have this personality that I have that's too direct or aggressive. Um, But then that's my job. That's my role as an attorney. Um, And so it's just, it's a double lose-lose for us sometimes because um, I think there's that oh, well, you're the model minority. You guys are the worker bees. Um, You're not really interested in leadership positions. You're not, you know, kind of interested in that or um, you're not a people person. You're just the worker bee. Or maybe they assume that there's that kind of bias of you should be the quiet, submissive Asian woman, you know? Um, and so I do not fit that mold and maybe that's why it's jarring to some people. Maybe it's just because I'm a woman. Maybe it's just, I don't know, but I, I have wondered that quite a bit in, you know, recently. Um, but I, I really did it before and it, it's really affected my self-esteem because when you start hearing that and, and I just think, yeah, but that person is the same way, yet they're not being told that they need to go get a, a coach or work mm-hmm. on their interpersonal skills. And so I, you know, I just started thinking, well, maybe it's something else. Um, and, and the more I started looking into it, I just, you know, thought, yeah, maybe it's that. But again, I don't know for sure. <laughs> that's, that's why it's so insidious. You just don't know. Now, have you had, Helen, have you had people speak to you like that to your face, like generalize your whole self in categories based on your race, like to you, like that has to like infuriate you? Um, hmm. I, I don't think they've uttered the words to me, but yes, the way that they re react to me or act towards me, like, um, you know, they don't let you finish a sentence, but you know, that could be just being a woman or maybe it's that person's personality, but you know, I don't think they ever kind of throw those words in your face. It's just how they react to you. And then you think, Hmm, maybe it's something else. Um, so that's a hard one, you know? And, and I think as women, we, we wonder that all the time too. It's like, mm-hmm. If a man would have said this, would they have said the same thing? Um, so I question myself twice. Because <laughs> I'm a woman, is it because I'm an Asian woman? So. And it's got to be exhausting. I mean, it's exhausting for all of us to walk through life, like second guessing things. That, oh, should I have said that? And I mean, mm-hmm. I do that enough just as like a person. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you have like, you just say things you're like, oh, I wish I could take that back. But then to double check, like how you said it, because, oh, well, are they going to perceive this this Mm -hmm. way? Because I'm a woman or I'm an Asian woman, or, you know, I'm a black woman, whatever you might be like, you have to check and double check what you say, because you might, uh, 
not offensive, but just make someone think something different. I don't, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> but I have to tell you a positive story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I had a wonderful mentor and general counsel who said to me, he sat me down and said, um, you do you, you know, because I, I kind of ran over some, you know, this is what I want to tell the business guys, you know, this is, mm-hmm. does this sound okay? And he said, you do you. And he didn't second mm-hmm. guess me. And that was so empowering to me that I carry that every time I have to second guess myself, I say, no, I'm going to do me. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. I know how to read the room. I know how to read people. Um, and I'm sorry, this is part of my personality to be direct. And sometimes that's what you expect of me as a lawyer. So I'm going to do me. Right. I mean, and the, you're not, you don't work there to be wishy-washy. Right. <laughs> like, are any of us hired to be wishy-washy? Like, no. oh, well, maybe you should do this, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, you know actually, I, I, to, I heard a podcast, speaking of podcast several months ago, I'm on that, like the great lawyer answer of it depends. We all love mm-hmm. to hate that answer. Um, and, and this, um, the tax lawyer, a woman who, uh, shared this nugget of, you know, our clients hire us to give them an answer mm-hmm. and it depends is not what they hire us to give them. Right. And I think it kind of speaks to this point of, you know, we, we are, we are, tra- we are who we are trained to be, if you will, as lawyers and, and standing in kind of our knowledge base, our power and our experience behind it is part of what makes us valuable as lawyers, as people, as women, as contributors to our community, um, being able to stand in that. I like that you do you, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wish I, 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 I wish there were more managers who had yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's so true because I think as cliche as it might sound, um, you need to stay true to yourself, right? And not everybody is going to like how you act or react in every single situation. And if you're always trying to, you know, please this person because he doesn't like when I say this, or please that person because he doesn't like that I say that, you lose your message, you lose your voice, and you lose yourself. Um, you know, like we were talking about, there's room for everybody at the table. And I think everybody has, um, you know, their own specific voice that your clients or your customers are going to connect with. And I really, really think that you need to stay true to yourself and to who you are and how you want to present your message, because there's customers and clients out there that want to hear from you. They don't want to hear from you, the diluted you, because you're worried about, you know, person A needs me to say this or person B needs me to say that. Um, so I absolutely, I love that you do you, um, and staying true to yourself always for sure. Yeah. I think it's like a, I I think I'm going to tuck it away and that's going to be something like I, I say to my kids too, because I think it's a great message for, mm-hmm. for them. Like, you know, I, I mean, think about it. Your, your kids have such different personalities. I have two of their like polar opposites <laughs> and they course. each have their strengths. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, I think you, you be, you do you is such a great message that for either right. of them to keep them. You can make yourself different. crazy, always trying to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you could drive yourself insane. I mean, I think about it too, to like, um, even with like writing, like writing reports for, Mm -hmm. for clients. And I remember being like a younger associate trying to write a report for the partner in the partner's voice. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. near impossible. It's like, uh, it's, it it is an exercise to fail because how are you ever going to do that? (laughs) You know, especially with writing. Yeah. And you're just, it's over and over and over again. And once you get to the point that you you just write the way you write and you don't need to write as if you're writing for somebody else, it's you being yourself and it, it's so much more genuine for the client. And you, you know, the the message is still going to get across. It's just going to be in how you want to deliver the message versus you writing the message for, you know, Joe Smith Mm. partners report to send out. And I think can't wait for the day when we use Jane Smith partner. I know. Example. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. What did I just I do? make a point of it. You know, and it, it goes to kind of those little things that we were talking about. Um, you know, in how you write or how you communicate and things. I I'm I make a point now. I default to this 
female pronouns for everything. If I'm going to be an example, I'm not, I'm going to say, you know, she did as my, you know, Jane Doe, whatever it is. And I've instructed my support staff in my office, if it's coming from me and you're editing something of mine, you default to female pronouns, period. And if you're going to go like he, his, or he, her, she, him, whatever, female pronouns first. Um, <laughs> I got to start changing something somewhere. Not only is she, not only is she doing it, but she's instruct all of her support staff to do that as well. Yeah. I love that. I love that. There are no him, of- his, or he in my, in my reports anymore. I know. And thank no. you for correcting me on that. I, I shouldn't even be on this podcast saying Joe Smith. But that's like, I mean, it's an example <laughs> of what we're talking about, right? This kind of like the, the struggle that we are cutting up against as women in professions and women pursuing careers and ambitions, just that like the teeny little things, like what pronouns are appearing in there and, and how you use them. And, um, I mean, I could go on little things. I mean, we've got the, the implicit stuff that we've talked about. We've got more explicit kind of structural barriers for mothers in particular, you know, we all have to take the bar exam to get licensed. So what about making sure that all bar examiners across the states can provide adequate accommodations for test takers who are lactating and need to pump and need time to do that and need a sanitary space to do that. That's not a bathroom, things like that, that are just like barriers to entry to the profession to begin with. I -hmm. mean, there was a woman who gave, didn't she give birth after the bar exam? Yeah. During, or she was during, she was, she was in labor, in labor was it during? on day one. Yeah, she was in labor on day one. This was last and summer. She waited, I remember right? this vividly. She made it through day one. She went to the hospital. She delivered, and she took day two from her hospital bed. Oh my god! She passed the bar exam, wow. but I can't imagine. Well, good for her. Two. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> she should. She she should have after all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a friend in my first year class who, our first semester finals, she was in labor. And she took all of the finals um, and then went and gave birth. And I just thought that was crazy. So that's amazing to me. Yeah. It is. The law school that I went to required um, four co-ops in order to graduate. You kind of went on a quarter system and alternated and you did your co-ops. They all had to be 12 weeks. You had to do them full time. And I remember my, it was, I think it was my 3L year. Uh, one of my classmates was pregnant and she was due shortly into her co-op rotation. And she had made arrangements with her employer of like how she was going to be able to work afterwards. Don't get me started about parental leave. That's his <laughs> own episode. A whole um, another episode for sure. His own episode. Um, but I remember the school threatening not to let her graduate because she wasn't going to fulfill that requirement on time because mm-hmm. she was going to have a, you know, an infant or a newborn, and she would only be able to do, you know, like eight weeks of the 12, as opposed to what it was. And it, it infuriated me that like, these are actual structural issues that so many women face in just getting into the profession in the first place, forget accelerating up the ladder, but just getting their foot in the door that, I mean, we don't talk about it enough and we need to, so that way it changes. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, being, going to the hospital, I think this was my second and taking calls from the senior partners, like Mm -hmm. with questions about stuff. And I was like, by the way, I just got induced. So (laughs) not a good time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be available for like 12 weeks. So (laughs) And it, it, I remember that conversation was super awkward. I felt awkward telling them, not because yeah. of being induced, but I was like, oh, like, what are they going to, are they going to think I'm not on board? You know, <laughs> like I'm not committed enough. They're going to think you're on vacation for 12 yeah. weeks, right? right. <laughs> and I mean, I even had people make, certain people make comments like, oh, well, you're about to go take vacation. I was like, well, I'm no. going to have a baby. No. <laughs> it's actually the opposite of a vacation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's probably easier to be at work. (laughs) Quieter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could go into my own things about maternity leave. I did get bored. I did get bored on maternity leave, but whatever. (laughs) I just like to be, have lots of things going on, I guess. (laughs) But so, you know, I know we can't solve the problem and we've, 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 we've done what lawyers do best is issue spot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and and provide mm-hmm. anecdotes, but 
I mean, what are some things we can do? Is it, is it mentorship? Is it, you know, like being in our, the positions that each of us individually are in, is it, you know, leading by example and providing mentorship to, to younger, you know, female attorneys, either in our own organizations or, you know, just ones coming out of school. What I, I don't know. What is it? I always, lead, I always default default to mentorship because mm-hmm. I had a few very strong female partners as mentors through my career. And I think that really helped mm-hmm. me. Um, so I think that just helps everybody, but that's not, <laughs> I mean, that what helps me is not certainly the case, but I think, I don't know. I think that is something that, you know, helped guide me. So why, why wouldn't it help others? I think it's that and sponsorship. I learned the difference between the two this year, which I I didn't before, but, you know, mentorship is, is being able to be, I think of it as more like a sounding board kind of learning on the fly, but sponsorship is me using my power, my bargaining power, my trust network to pull someone up to the next level of their career. Um, And I think we need more of that speaking up for them. Yeah. 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 And giving them the opportunities, you know, that you wouldn't normally get to work on that big, high profile case or that project um, that puts you in front of executives and leadership and gives you that opportunity, whether, you know, or even the board of directors to, you know, be able to have that. Um, and you, you won't have that without a sponsor. That's, you know. I think we need that particularly right now as we're switching to a hybrid work world or a mostly remote work world, this concern that, you know, the McKinsey report raised and so many um, news articles have raised it that working from home and not being present or with that FaceTime in an office will lead to this um, opportunity um, risk that you won't be the one first in mind put on projects and put on you know, new cases or new things coming the line. So I think that's where that sponsorship, that very intentional um, highlighting of someone for an opportunity, even if they're not, you know, the office next door that you're going to pop into is really critical right now. Sorry, I cut you off, Carly. No, 100%, right? I mean, first of all, I naively didn't know about sponsorship being different than mentorship. So thank you. Because when I'm thinking about mentorship, I'm thinking about that sponsor like the definition of sponsorship is what I'm thinking of but bringing up the difference in the workplace is really important because it it is so different now like in my own firm we had if we've had I think three new attorneys on board recently and you know I haven't even met them face to face I like I think I had my first conversation with one of them recently via zoom so it's so important to try as leaders to try to reach out to those new people, because they're not going to come to you, like, unless, at least most times or not, they're not going to come to you. So it, I guess the onus is on us to try to make the connection and help, you know, mm-hmm. and, and provide that sponsorship for, for the right person. Um, mm-hmm. Because unless, I, I don't know, I think in my experience, they're not going to just find you. I don't think so. At least it's intimidating. I would have been intimidated to like reach out to the, you know, a more senior attorney or partner and be like, Hey, come talk to me. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> I'm curious, Carly, are you seeing with kind of the businesses that you advise any like really good practices that some of them have put into place to, um, actively address or break down kind of barriers or just like reimagine what a, a, a better and more inclusive, stronger workforce would look like? Um, not particularly, I haven't seen it with, um, my clients, but I think it's a combination of all of the above everything that we've talked about. Right. So it's educating the people at the top who may not have similar situations that we do or females have, um, mentorship. So you have somebody, but also I love the sponsorship idea. Um, you know, I think that that's so important. Of course, a new young attorney is going to be intimidated and not wanting to raise her hand and say, Hey, I have this situation. Um, what options are available to me? Um, you know, so we've had the experiences, a lot of them, we've been through a lot of this, um, and to say, these are the options available. And not only are these options available, but I'm going to go and speak up on your behalf and make sure that we secure one of those options for you. Um, I, I really, really like that. I think that's so important. I'm glad that you brought that up because I forgot about it actually. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah. And I think there's also like getting involved with like your alumni association with, you know, graduating attorneys, Mm -hmm. because I think it's not only important to people in your own organization, but like, who cares if they're not working for your firm or your company, you know, to help someone, I would have appreciated this so Mm -hmm. much graduating and not, you know, knowing what the heck I was doing and having someone who was in the world to help kind of provide advice or, you know, connect me with the right people and just having that guidance along the way. So I think trying to make those steps with whatever makes the most sense for you to help others, I I think it would be so valuable to those Mm -hmm. coming in. So Mm -hmm. we are way out of time. Um, (laughs) That's what what happens when you talk about things like this. Because we probably could have offshot. I think we, I think honestly, just for our listeners, I had an outline and I don't think we talked about it. Um, well, we kind of touched on it, but I'm like, we stuck oh, to I the know. outline, <laughs> but we came up sort with of. three more podcast episodes. So we'll be back <laughs> yeah. with those. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was just going to suggest. I'm like, well, we kind of offshoot. So stay tuned. We probably have a few more episodes. <laughs> Part part two, three, and four of this. You know, time. I do want to. This is my throw out for you, Megan and and, and Trisha and your team there. I, you know, I want to start seeing the conversation turn. I, I I do think we you know highlighting the things that exist is important, but I want to start seeing the conversation turn to how intentionally can we change it? What is going to happen, and what can we do about it? Because I think we are all starting to be in positions where we can do something about it, and and I, for my own benefit, want to learn what those are. There you yeah. go. That'll be and next episode. Yeah. I, I, I think we just like landed it too. Like, okay. We, we've issue spot spotted the problems. Now let's, let's solve them. Okay. We'll brainstorm for next time. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much ladies for join, joining me tonight. And, you know, let's stay tuned for, I, I hope you're all on board. You're on record right now. So you're going to come back, right? <laughs> Yes, for we'll sure. be here. Yes. All right, I got I got everyone. Um, and for for everyone listening, if you like what you hear, as always, please subscribe to the Defense Number Rests on Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on YouTube at the Legal Navigator. <laughs>